the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio. Carol is a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Good to see you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. We've got a great guest coming up who has a personal story. You know, doctors who see seniors, every visit, caution them about falls. I know. Falls are very dangerous. Very dangerous. You could break something. You could. And she's going to share with us how she broke something. When she fell. That's coming up soon with Dr. Laura Hewitt, right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. But first, Carol, you've got a great list of interesting topics. And one is, and boy, my mother was in this category, what do you do, you do when your parents resist help? Well, these are some recommendations that came from a geriatrician who is uh, from San Francisco who's worked with a lot of families. And, yes, this does sound familiar. Um, most of us who have had any uh, issues with older parents um, have, you know, come to a point where, we want to help them, and they say, no, I'm fine, or, you know, they just refuse the help, they kick the help out of the house, and it can be very, very frustrating. In my mother's case, I, I was in, well, I'm in San Antonio. She was in Cleveland uh, needing help, and I arranged through Jewish Family Service in Cleveland to get her the help. They came to her door, and she said, no, that's okay. Go, go help some people who really need it. Who really need it, yeah, not acknowledging they need it at all. Right. So one of the things you have to look at is, and this certainly not, is not the case for everyone, is there cognitive impairment involved at all? Um, where you're, Are your parents really at a place where they can realistically um, be able to determine if they need help or not, uh, because even with early Alzheimer's, uh, people can get very suspicious and and not want anybody else in the home and be you know afraid of strangers. Well, they get paranoid. Well, they get paranoid. But I, I don't want to assume that every parent that tells you they don't need any help has a cognitive impairment. That's certainly not the case. Um, but one of the things you really have to realize is you know when you're offering to bring help them get help in the home, you're really challenging maybe their autonomy me, their independence. Um, it may sound like you don't think they can take care of themselves anymore. Um, and that's an emotionally charged discussion because you're really kind of putting your foot on them a little bit. And you can understand why they might come back in a negative way. You certainly would if all of a sudden I came to you and said, Ron, I don't want you to drive anymore. Probably you're at least going to push back a little bit. You're not going to say, oh, okay, that's fine. Who cares? Well, you weren't with me when I hit that pole yesterday, but hey, it's got nothing to do with my driving. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of self-worth, and so we have to realize that there, there's, uh, there's, this is an issue that, that, you know, maybe you can't be the person to talk about needing help in the home. Maybe you need, um, the help from a physician, uh, some, a pastor, a geriatric care manager, maybe somebody else needs to, to recommend a little help in the home. Um, you also may need to be realize what you're willing to trade off and what they're willing to trade off. So as children, we're concerned about safety and security, and we want them to live a long time. And they're worried about their independence, staying at home as long as possible. So you that might be in a negotiation. You know, if you get help in the home, you can stay in the home longer. Uh, and and have that argument as opposed, you know, because if things go as they are, you'll end up in We don't want you in a nursing home. If you'll accept these workers, then you're going to be able to stay home longer. That's you a negotiation. finish your dinner, you'll get dessert. That's right. There's got to be a carrot. But you have to, you know, when your parents have capacity, when they can make their own decisions, these are you have to be willing to maybe 
you know, give up. It's like going ahead and letting your older son borrow the car keys, even though you don't want to. At some point, you've got to, you know, let him drive a little bit. And that can be the same for your parents. Um, and then you may need to get your own therapist. Distinguish what you need versus what they need. Um, you may be seeing things in a certain way. They need help. I, they can't take care of themselves. Is it that or is it you're worried about them um, and maybe they're okay? Maybe they, re- you know, so do some soul searching when you're insistent. If they're really, really, really resistant, make sure that you've done that soul searching well, as well point. just to check yourself. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Brought to you by the WellMed Chevrolet Foundation. We'll talk to Dr. Laura Hewitt in just a couple of moments about falls, dangers of falls, and how to protect yourself. First, we are talking, as we do every Caregiver SOS on air with our co-host, Carol Zernil, about some really interesting topics like one of our favorites, more on naked mole rats. Naked mole rats. We love naked mole rats. We saw a picture once of naked mole rats that scared us to death. They are not attractive <laughs> at <are> all. Not. <laughs> They're no. not. Put your fur back on. But you know what's cool about naked mole rats, besides their name, is that they live a really long time. They live to be 32. Which in naked mole rat years is like... Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, if when you think about the size of a naked mole rat, think of a mouse living to be 32, right. you know, they that's unusual. They don't get cancer, and they pretty well stay healthy. They're like the, the old one-horse shape poem where the little wagon stays exactly as, as it is, and at 100 years old, pop, it, the whole wagon falls apart. They, you know, the naked mole rat is healthy, 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 until the last day, boink, they die. Which really, that's our goal as people, right? Look, if I got to go, I want to go just like <laughs> that's that. That's right. And looking good like a naked mole rat. <laughs> so the locally here at the Barshop Institute for Longevity and Aging Studies, they've been looking at broccoli and Ooh. mole rat and naked mole rats. And what they found is that whatever it is in naked mole rats that makes them live so long in such good shape has to do with the protein that in humans is released by eating steamed broccoli. I eat about uh, five pounds of broccoli a week. Well, and there you and I love I, it. I was going to say I must say you know you seem healthy and <laughs> happy you. and going strong. So so I'm vindicated. Th- there you go. Every every once in a while we find something you're doing something right, Ron. Wow. You're it's eating about- <laughs> steamed broccoli. And no butter. Just you and the naked broccoli. mole rats can hang out together. Now, what do I, I like raw broccoli too. Did they talk it, about that? Steam. It, it needs to be steamed. Oh, to release the protein. Yeah, probably. to release to release the. I'm not oh. going to get into even trying to pronounce these names of NRF two or and no one wants to hear me even say that. Um, but yeah, it has to be steamed, and you can add Brussels sprouts or cabbage to that diet. Oh, I love as well. Brussels sprouts too. All right, so those leafy vegetables, steam them and there eat them, are. and you will live like a naked mole rat. Now, you have more information on a new drug that's being looked at to treat Alzheimer's. You know, I was recently in Chicago at the Aging in America conference, and this was the hot topic at the conference was the Biogen new drug uh, for Alzheimer's. Uh, and on the next, um, I'm sorry, the Next Generation website, that, uh, they had an article from PBS that was talking to a, uh, Dr. Samuel Gandhi from Mount Sinai Hospital, asking him, so what is it about this new drug? And the drug is specifically targets the, the amyloid in the brain, those amyloid plaques, which is one of the suspicious things. We, when we look at Alzheimer's, we look at the amyloid gunk up proteins and making that little mess in your brain. Um, and this is, uh, it, it, it introduces an antibody that attacks this. And what it has shown is that it can, um, decrease the cognitive decline sharply, slow down the cognitive decline of people with Alzheimer's or any other disease that has those same plaques. Really? And it's like one of the first tests that's ever done this. Uh, Pfizer tried to do it. I, I actually talked to a representative from Pfizer at the conference, and she said they abandoned their Alzheimer's drug research because they just couldn't get anywhere. Wow. And Eli Lilly did the same thing. So what, what was interesting about this is, uh, number one, it's a small study. It's only like 150 people. You're not going to find this drug on your shelf anytime soon. You're not going to be able to ask for it. Um, but what makes it interesting is that it, um, because it did show promise, and, and normally the tests with the drugs, they didn't know if people had the amyloid or not. These people were pre-screened for amyloid. So if you gave a drug to somebody that attacked amyloid and you didn't have it, you would think the drug didn't work. 
because you never had it in the first place, it's not going to treat it. So this test, they knew everybody had the amyloid proteins. The drug did did attack it, and so it, it shows efficacy, and they're thinking, oh, maybe this is also a new way to run the research tests, uh, knowing a little bit more about some of the treatments. Find the people that have the problem you're trying to fix. Yeah. Now, it does have a side effect with water on the brain, a little swelling in the brain. Um, they're showing right now that that's manageable. That sounds a little scary to me. It does. Any drug, you know, has a side effect. So there's going to be a lot more on this. This is very, very, very early, but if you're hearing about it, any good news is good news, we hope, uh, and you will hear more about this. Now, I'm going to jump to the last one that's on your list because we teased it last week. And that's the question, and we always worry about this. Uh, well, maybe not all of us. After I'm gone, what happens to my Facebook page? Am I still going to be there alive and well? Well, and who's going to manage it? And who's going to post on we it? We have talked about your life online right. um, and what happens to it. And Facebook has just announced a new feature called Legacy Contacts where you can designate another Facebook friend to manage your account after you die. The designated friend, they can't delete the account or respond to messages intended for the deceased, but they can um, have the option to terminate, you know, get rid of the account, and you apparently can now set up your Facebook account to terminate when you die as well. But um, we'll talk more about this in the future. The whole issue of your online self and, and in the first year after death, if you're a caregiver, that's when all kinds of identity theft can ha- happen. And if your mom is or dad or the person you're caring for is active online and you don't know all of those accounts or have passwords, you can have problems. So we'll talk about that some more. It, it's spooky. Every once in a while I'll see a Facebook page being updated from someone who's no longer with us. Oh, yes. I've gotten messages. Recently, I got a message from somebody who was deceased that was reminding me of an anniversary, and I'm like, holy smokes. Wow. It scared me. Because even Houdini couldn't come back. No, he, no. He, he said he would if he could. Yeah, I know. And we never heard from him again, Never heard did again. We? But he didn't have Facebook back then. No, you didn't have on. He wasn't online. He was so in a box. He was just in the box. Got time for six ways to eat well at your age. Which was... Too long to talk about. Okay. So, so make sure you go to My Plate, Google My Plate, and you will find the perfect diet for you at any age. And that replaces the pyramid. And that just does replace the food pyramid. So we'll have to remember that. That's, That's cool. Right. Thank you very much. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to find all about the doctor who tripped and fell and then told her patients about it. Dr. Laura Hewitt joins us on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. Where do you hear us? On 9.30 a.m., The Answer. One of the things I'd love to talk about with uh, Dr. Robin Eikoff, I'm Ron Aaron, by the way, is prevention, and it's something that WellMed spends a lot of time on. We do spend a lot of time on prevention because the fact is we know when we spend time on prevention, people live longer, healthier lives. So what do you look for in, in, in terms of preventing disease? Well, as a provider, we're going to spend a lot of time with our patients looking at lab work, doing tests, looking for things early, encouraging preventative exams like an eye exam, uh, mammograms, colonoscopies, all the things that help us prevent severe illness. And it's one of the things that WellMed has always prided itself on. We've always been the forerunner for prevention. And now everybody's jumping on board, and I'm glad to see it. Giving new meaning to patient-centered health care. Yes, it does. Dr. Robin Eikoff, I'm Ron Aaron. By the way, you catch us on WellMed Radio Saturdays at 5 in the afternoon, right here on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. And one of the things, Carol, we have talked about, and on the other show that we do with WellMed, WellMed Radio with Dr. Robin Eikoff, we talk about over and over again, because it's so important, is falls and seniors. Um, falls are so prevalent. We know that 30% of people over the age of 60 fall every year. So there are, th- you know, the three of us sitting here with headsets on, uh, one of us did fall <laughs> in the year. Thank you for taking that fall for us, Dr. Hewitt. <laughs> that would be Dr. I Laura mean, that's, Hewitt. <laughs> that's how common it is, and it happens. There we go. We have just proved the odds. So what happened? You broke your finger, which is could have been a lot worse, I suspect. 
It could have been, Tell yes. us what happened, and thank you for coming on. First of all, you find Dr. Hewitt at the Embassy Oaks WellMed Clinic. She's a WellMed medical director and does a lot of great work for patients and for WellMed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, it was scary. I had some painting done in my house recently and was taking down shower curtains and then had to put them back up. So I was putting up a shower curtain in my bathroom. I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing, had one foot on each ledge of the bathtub. And my daughter was standing on the outside of the bathtub, and I slipped. One one foot gave way from underneath me, and I slipped and tumbled over the edge of the tub. And I remember I must have subconsciously been thinking, don't fall on my daughter. So I avoided falling on her, but I jammed my finger into the vanity and, and uh, broke my finger. So the bathroom is the most dangerous room in the house. It is. And I have often done exactly what you're describing, the old stand on that little that little skinny edge of the tub that's next to the wall. Uh, you know, you've got one good ledge, and you think, well, I can balance on one toe on that other skinny ledge. And I could see where that would happen. Yeah, it, did, was, it was scary. Did you know it was broken? No, I didn't know until, until the next morning. It happened in the evening, and then uh, I put some ice on it, and then the next morning I woke up and it was swollen and purple and Ooh. so that's how i knew so they x-rayed it yes and it was yes, broken and it was broken how so. bad a break a little small fracture um i'm wearing a splint now um but it, it doesn't hurt anymore it's more of a nuisance and a conversation starter obviously are you right so. or a lefty it's on your right hand it's on my right hand and i'm right-handed so it is a little bit of a challenge but as you mentioned before it could have been a lot worse i could have hit my head um, I, that's obviously the most scary thing. I could have broken my leg. I mean, the way I fell it was scary for my daughter, for her to watch me fall. So, um, well, you had told the story, Carol, about your dad who was uh, having, he thought, arrhythmia and heart problems, and he fell was. in the bathtub. Yeah, he he actually did have um, a rapid heartbeat that caused lightheadedness, and he blacked out, fell over backwards over the tub, and broke three ribs. So, you know, and I can. Re- Bathrooms are so dangerous. I was picking up the trash once in a bathroom. I didn't fall, but I turned too quickly, and I hit my head on the, the corner Ooh. of the wall, picking up, turned, and I woke up sprawled across, the, you know, the luckily the lid was closed on the toilet because that's where I landed. And I woke, I'm li- I was living by myself. I don't even know how long I was out. Wow. Yeah, and I woke up with a giant goose egg. Um, so, you know, it, it, that's not the, obviously falls can happen anywhere. We can all do stupid things. Number one, don't do stupid things. Um, but the, the falling, because you're younger, um, you know, that same fall, if you had been older or had been me with all my osteoporosis, I, you know, I have no health confidentiality at all on this radio show. My <laughs> relatives, me, it's all just hanging yeah. out there, you know. This <laughs> is so. But if one were to have osteoporosis, that would be a bad thing falling like you did. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I was lucky. Um, but it's it's interesting when I'm sitting with my patients and counseling them on not falling and what are some things that you can do to decrease your falls. And, and they look at my hand and say, what happened? They're just being polite and wanting to know what happened to my finger. And I say, well, I fell. So, yeah, it happened to me. It can happen to you, too. So. Well, well, give us the ABCs on seniors and falls and why it's such a threat to seniors. Well, seniors, for, <clears throat> there are so many reasons. Um, there are decreased visual acuity. They can't see a, a lot of the times. They can't hear as well, decreased hearing. So um, those, all those visual and, and hearing sensory cues. Um, we notice a lot of times that seniors have uh, what we call neuropathy in their feet. So the nerves don't work as well. You can't feel where your feet are in space. Um, osteoarthritis, joint pain, joint issues. Um, the muscles and the, and the joints and the bones don't communicate well, so you don't always know where you are in space. So there's so many things that add up to create the, a perfect storm and could, could lead a senior to fall. Well, what about medications that you might be on? What could, are there any medications that might cause you to be lightheaded or a little dizzy or balance issues? Definitely. You name a medication and it has fatigue and dizziness as a side effect. So many of the medications that we prescribe um, can can have that side effect. And, and as a physician, I don't want to prescribe something to my patient that's going to have side effects that are worse than disease. Um, but medications for diabetes, blood pressure, cholesterol, um, lots of different types of heart medication, thyroid medication. I mean, these medicines we're all taking for a good reason, but taking multiple medications and we add them all together, they can they can really 
cause some side effects that are that are not pleasant. And, and we know while seniors are encouraged not to take it, Benadryl can cause yes. uh, fatigue and sleepiness. Benadryl is I, I cannot. It's a great drying agent. It is. I I marvel at the fact that Benadryl is over the counter because it is one of the worst medications for our seniors to take. And Benadryl is hidden in a lot of medications. Benadryl is um, in Tylenol PM, Advil PM. There are some sleep aids that are so in It's a NyQuil. great sleep aid because Benadryl, you take it for allergies, right? Right, But right. it puts you to sleep. It's great for if you want a good night's sleep. It does, but it has a lot of other side effects, dry mouth, of course. Um, but in some of our seniors that already have some sort of dementia, it can worsen that dementia over time. So It's on the definitely. no list, yeah. I, yeah. I remember a, a pharmacist that was giving a presentation saying this is on never take if you're older it's a very old drug right and if you have allergies if that's your issue there are other things you can take besides benadryl that won't put you make you stupid sleepy and prone to fall right and a lot of seniors don't realize they're taking it they're think they think i'm taking tylenol pm to help my joints and help me sleep and it's actually benadryl so so how do you work with your patients on those kinds of issues so I'd go over their medication list every time the senior comes in. And you in. ask them to bring in their medications. Yes, so we ask them to bring in the bottles. Everything, um, over-the-counter, every exactly. prescription. Vitamins, supplements, anything that you're taking. If you're taking a tea every day to help with something, then bring that in so I can take a look at it. We review, make sure that they're in it, they're, you're taking exactly what you're supposed to be taking. We look for any side effects. We look for any interactions, and we, we have a, an electronic medical record that helps with that, helps us to look and see if there could be any interactions with your medication. So we look at that every single time. Look at the vital signs. Make sure your blood pressure is not too low. Make sure your heart rate's not too low or too high. All those types of things. Um, so that's, that's a, a good place to start. Have you been surprised by what falls out of that bag that your patients bring into their exam room? Yes, and I am even more surprised by what's not in the bag. What, what patients like what they should be taking, right? Or what they say that they have at home that they they only tell me because I ask specifically about supplements and over the counter medications. Because a lot of patients, and it's it's a it's a it's not that um, patients are intentionally hiding things from me. I think these supplements and and over the counter medications are marketed. And the, the social construct around them is such that it's harmless, and they're really not harmless. As we've talked about, Benadryl is one of the most harmful drugs out there. Um, Tylenol, if you're taking multiple pain medications and you're taking Tylenol, you could be overdosing on Tylenol and not realizing it. So all those things are really important to discuss with your doctor. I saw an ad the president of the company that makes Tylenol did where she said, uh, look, we make this, we sell this, obviously we want to sell it, but we don't want you to take more than two every whatever hours, please. Right, right. They have changed their... I figured if, you know, two is good, why not three? Right. Well, and Tylenol has, has changed their marketing and changed, maybe not their marketing, but they've changed their labeling is what I was trying to say mm-hmm. on how much that you can take per day is recommended. Um, but like I said, so many if cold medications and sleep aids, they all have the multiple of the same medication and if you don't if you don't read the labels if you don't know that and i mean how are you supposed to the labels are so tiny you know it's right. it's not intuitive that you would that you would know these things that anybody would know these things but that's why it's important to bring all these to your doctor because right, a lot of people wouldn't think i mean if somebody asked my parents to bring in all of the medications they're taking i don't think it would occur to them to bring in anything that was over the counter, and they and they certainly would not bring in, you know, my mother's always been Miss Health Food, uh, all of her little vitamins and stuff. She wouldn't be thinking about that, right? Right, because you assume, well, if it's over the counter, then it's safe. And I mean, Tylenol one every every now and then might be safe, but if you're taking it every day on top of your other pain medications that contain Tylenol, then that's when we get into trouble. So now we know that falls can be deadly to seniors. Yes, <laughs> if they fall. You're over 65, you break a hip, you go to the hospital. 50% of seniors don't make it out alive. Exactly. Why? There are so many complication rates with surgery. Um, first of all, not every senior who breaks their hip has to have surgery. Some don't. Some heal on their own. Um, but senior citizens are at high risk for surgery to begin with. Um, so complications from the surgery itself, complications from recovery, pneumonia, blood clot, infection, those types of things can really contribute um, and then if you already have existing heart disease or existing diabetes or any other chronic condition and you go into the hospital and have surgery, it's an 
additional insult on your body, and a lot of times those those chronic conditions will get worse. Right, and and if you have some sort of cognitive impairment, any kind of anesthesia um, can aggravate, you know, your cognitive abilities when you come out of the surgery because everybody's a little bit, ooh, little comes out of surgery feeling a little woozy, but it can actually exacerbate your symptoms of Alzheimer's or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there better anesthetics that are being worked on uh, to, to avoid those kinds of after effects? I hope so, but honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Because I know when I had my colonoscopy last year, they used propanol. Uh, killed, they, the one that killed yeah. Michael Jackson. The one that killed Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. In fact, as they were about to uh, administer it, I, I said to the nurse anesthesiologist, isn't that the stuff that killed Michael Jackson? She said, yes, but he didn't have the kind of control <laughs> and supervision you're going to have. But I love that, bec- the stuff, because there's no after effect. Right. You don't wake up drunk, tired in any way. And that's exactly why Michael Jackson used it. Well, there you are. So, But he was using it under the... Not very good supervision. So. Right, apparently. That's right. right. And I think you can even drive big equipment after you use that stuff. I No, I don't think. I, uh, I, I had some that. relatives. Because I went right out and yeah. drove that bulldozer. You're not supposed to be driving your pet bulldozer after surgery. <laughs> uh, okay. But propanol, uh, unlike uh, some of the others, there was no real after effect. Right, right. And that's why propofol is a good choice for... Propofol, yeah. Is a good choice for surgery because you wake up, like you said, and it, it wears off very, very quickly, other, gonna, unlike some of the others. We're going to come back to you in just a moment. I'm having too much fun talking about anesthesia. Dr. Laura Hewitt is with us. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air right here on 930 AM, The Answer. <laughs> You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM. The Answer brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zerniel, and we are talking with Dr. Laura Hewitt, Medical Director at WellMed. You find her at the Embassy Oaks WellMed Clinic. And we're talking about falls. If you've just joined us, she fell, broke a finger, doing what she shouldn't have done in her bathroom, setting a wonderful example for your daughter who was in the bathroom with you, right? Yes. So did you later explain to her mommy should not have done that? I did, and I did that mostly because she felt like it was her fault. Of course. She thought that there was something that she did that caused me to fall. Kids always think that. Right, right, right. So I felt terrible. So how old is your daughter? She's eight. She's eight. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Well, someday she sees her shrink. She'll explain. That's exactly. Right. That's right. She'll talk about it with her therapist. That's right. The day my mommy fell in the wow. bed. Wow. Well, let's talk. talk we I briefly mentioned osteoporosis and the dangers of falls, but there um there are instances where people actually break a hip and then fall. Yes. Is that is that correct? Yes, I have seen that uh, before as well. Or exactly like you said, some, there's some sort of insult. Usually, it's a twisting, um, and the patient breaks a hip. First, and then they fall because of the instability of the joint. So, so wow. it's not all. It's not all the. Um, you don't all, always. It's not all area rugs and extension cords in your home. Uh, every once in a while, it is. You know, it's something inside that's wrong. Right, right, and so that's why we always try to screen for osteoporosis, and then we we treat for it if it's there. So, if you have osteoporosis, then definitely, um, it's it's difficult to have that conversation with your patients because they don't feel it. Um, osteoporosis doesn't cause any sort of pain. It's just that it sets you up for higher risk for fractures. Wow. So t- tell us just what is osteoporosis. And we were talking about it, but we didn't say what it is. Osteoporosis is a thinning of the bones. So the bones, if you think about as is not solid. The bones are made up of all these tiny kind of columns and um, just architecture um, to help to stabilize your, your body. And when that architecture gets thin, then it makes the bones more likely to break. So bones are not solid like we think about it. And we think of osteoporosis mostly in women, but men can have it too. Yes, yes. Men can have it too. It's more common in women. Due Why? To hormonal changes. Um, estrogen and the testosterone and the balance in, be- in between those makes women more likely to 
have osteoporosis. Yes. So every every woman in my family on both sides has osteoporosis, and you know, not that we were ever tall, Poor but Carol. I know uh, my my older relatives, my ninety four year old uh, great aunt is like four foot six. You know, I am a giant compared to her, and I'm just I'm thinking what the world looks like. You don't want to become four foot six. It's just not a good thing. You know, you're cute. <laughs> and people right. pat you on the head, and you can get away with anything you want, which yeah. she does. But it's just not that great of a thing to be four foot six. Well, that's my mother's family, though. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, they're all very short. Yeah, and 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 falls. You know, we're all worried about the falling. But and you're closer to the ground. <laughs> but you, you're gonna, you're still got. If you don't land well, even if you're closer to the ground. So what? Um, if somebody falls. What you know? What do you recommend that happens to that person? Like, let's say one of your old patients falls. Uh, do you want it? Should we rush in and help them up? Should we call somebody? You know, what what do we should we be concerned about when someone falls? Yeah. So um, in the immediate phase, I mean, if common sense, if you go in and the pre- the person is not conscious, obviously you want to call EMS nine one one. If you go in and they you kind of look at them and they look like they're doing okay, that they're talking and breathing and can answer a couple simple questions and they can move their arms and legs um, and without any significant type of pain or any visible injury, then helping them up, yeah. Um, But you want to do it slowly. So you don't want to just have the person stand up immediately. Because if they've fallen, then there's obviously they're going to be jarred, as I was. Um, So you want to you can let them rest if they're dizzy, let them lay there for just a minute, and then you can slowly get them up, having them sit up first. Um, and then if they're dizzy, then have them sit with them, give them some water, something to eat. Um, but you don't want to just stand the person up immediately because that causes the blood to pool um, from their brain, and that could cause them to feel dizzier and then fall again. Right, so you have to be careful. Yes. And, and, and there are... Um, Classes that deal with uh, people who are either afraid to fall or have fallen. I know that uh, the WellMed Charitable Foundation has been working with Dr. Hall, who's another WellMed physician, on uh, a matter of balance class, which is a class that addresses the fear of falling, particularly for people who have fallen. Yes, yes. Well, that's because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you've fallen, odds are you'll fall again. Yes. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Especially if so you've I've already had. I put your right. name, I put your name on the roster for the new class. By the yeah. way, I'll be there. <laughs> well, talk to me because you see this in your patients about fear of falling and why that then triggers more falls. Well, it it changes your perception of your, your, your where your body is in physical space in relation to the world. It can make you um, you're you're fearful of it, and so you're not acting out of a, a rational brain. So fear is a is an emotion that the naked mole rat has fear. And so that's that part of our brain that is activated when we're fearful and we're not thinking with our rational brain when we're fearful. So we're more likely to make decisions like standing on the tub and doing silly things like that or um, or not having that awareness of, of where we are in space. Yeah, or we might, um, if we're afraid that we're going to fall, we might stop doing things. Okay, I'm going to stay in my chair where it's safe. And that physical inactivity is not good for you. It's going to no. at least, you know, your balance is going to get worse. Your strength is going to get worse. At the end of these uh, matter balance classes, they actually teach exercises to help strengthen your muscle groups so that you, you know, you have better balance. You've got greater strength. You know, physical activity, it is the magic bullet. Uh, and the more active that you stay, the more likely, it, you know, the less likely it is that you're going to fall as long as you're not climbing on things you shouldn't be climbing right. on. <laughs> right. Now, in your patient population, do you see a lot of falls? Yes, I do. Unfortunately, I and, do. And, and what do you see as a result? Well, the, I mean, it's it's embarrassing, as I know firsthand. It's embarrassing to fall. Patients don't always want to tell me. Um they feel like they've done something wrong or that they, you know, they it's a loss of independence um, to fall. And so they don't always want to tell me. And then they, so they get afraid, what am I going to do? What am I going to say to them? Um, what's going to happen to me? Is are my kids going to think that I can't live by myself? That kind of thing. So, um, so it's difficult for them to tell me a lot of times. Um, 
But, you know, it's a, it's something that we don't want to happen, but is very common. So we sit down and have the discussion about what are some things that we can do to re- re- reduce the risk of falling. Um, how did you fall in the first place? Were you doing something you shouldn't have, getting on the roof? Was it you stood up and twisted too quickly? Were you getting out of bed in the morning to go to the bathroom? Well, maybe we should take you off your diuretic at nighttime. Those types of things. I mean, it's it's very individualized as to how the patient fell and, and how can we prevent it from happening. My folks, again. when they were alive, both fell, both broke things. My dad thought he could still clean gutters at the age of 82, climbed up a gutter, and, of course, the ladder fell, and he went right down with it, broke two legs. And my mother, out for a walk, exercises good, tripped, fell, and you see these fractures all the time, broke both her wrists. Oh, cause she yes. caught, yeah, catching herself. Yeah. Those are roll, rolling with it. I don't know if you yes. break a shoulder when you roll with roll and right. sticking your arms out. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That one, that one's tough. Um, but there, you know, working with people, you were talking about getting up in the middle of the night, you know, night lights. Um, I, I had a friend that got up in somebody else's. She was visiting someone. They didn't have night lights and she turned to go, left to go to the bathroom. Well, left in their house was down a staircase. Uh, and she fell, fell down the staircase. She fell down the staircase, wow. and you know had some injuries. But and, survived. Well, she survived, but she did break a few things uh, falling down her. the staircase. So having those, they've got some wonderful night lights now that are motion sensor mm-hmm. uh, that you can put in your house. And so when you, if you do have to get up to go to the bathroom, um, it automatically triggers that light to come on. And I stayed at a hotel that had a really nice, gentle one. It was, it was just a little kind of glowy light in the bathroom that came on when you went in there. It was perfect because you didn't, you don't get the night blind where you have the bright light in your face and then you go back into the dark bedroom. Uh, so we have cats. Technology the, is a great thing. You know, with our cats, the lights would go on and off all night long. <laughs> well, that's the reason I, I don't have them. Yeah, I can, you can just imagine yeah, the lights yeah. You coming. have cats also, Yeah, yeah, right? the, the cats would yeah. definitely be tripping everything. Oh, but, they would. Yeah, if you can lock your If you don't have right. other things that will trip your lights, they do work well. And the other thing you mentioned, pets. Uh, if you've got uh, a dog that that's black uh, on a dark rug, or that wants to st- stop, run in front of you and stop, or like, like mine do, will twist around <laughs> your legs. Those are all dangers. Yes, my dog actually does that. He'll walk in front of me and then stop. So um, it's like, no, I'm stopping. You stop too, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, so pets are pets are can be a fantastic addition to the family, especially for our patients that that may be empty nesters and, and need some companionship. Right. And you have to be careful. You might not want to get the puppy that's nipping at your ankles and running you know, running alongside you just because you could trip over the dog. So And you see that too, I'm sure. Yes, I do. And I I love dogs and, and I I don't ever want to encourage my patients to get rid of their pets by any means um but sometimes having that you have to have that conversation about what's what's in your best interest or put a light on the dog right (laughs) there you go trigger the dog right well falls are the number one reason uh uh, falling and breaking a hip that's like the number one uh occurrence that leads people to having to move into a nursing home so falls can be very serious medically from the injuries, but it's also so dangerous for the seniors that want to stay at home as long as possible. Right. And people generally don't think it's going to happen to them. So, oh, and, and it's very, very common. So I've heard you say, reviewing all of the things that you've said so far, is don't change your shower curtain standing on both sides of the tub was number one. Right. Um, number two was there are a lot of reasons that people fall. It could be your eyesight, your hearing, your medications. It could be your environment. It could be you have other medical issues. So, you know, having a relationship with someone like you, Dr. Hewitt, you know, buddying up to your doctor so that they know what's normal and not normal for you and can help you track your health is going to help you possibly prevent falls as well because some of so many of those were physically related. Right, absolutely, and there's a lot that we can do um, we have physical therapists that can go into the home and can tailor a treatment plan and say, you know, pick up this rug or have the cords out of reach or, or those types of things so that the person has an individualized plan. So, that so, so Ahmed will do a fall assessment. Yes, yes. I refer uh, patients for fall risk assessment all the time. And, and what do you hear back? 
Well, the patients sometimes are reluctant to to have somebody come in their home because right. it's there's a there's a punitive sense to it. The patients feel like they're being punished and having somebody come in and saying, "Oh, you can't have that. You can't have that." Um, so it is a little bit tricky to to get the patients to agree, but um, they've made great suggestions. And I mean, all we can do is I track the we know the patients that don't fall. So. Um, that's right. You really don't have to have that area rug right. with all the fringe and the thick, you know, uh, shag carpet. You can you can get you can let that go so that right. you don't fall. We are flat out of time, Dr. Laura Hewitt. I would keep the brace on on your finger, the splint, because it opens up that conversation right. with your patients. I've gotten a lot of sympathy from it, so I think I'm going to wear too. it. Switch it to your other hand that you don't use as often. Right. Just put it right. on that side. I want to thank you for coming in, Dr. Hewitt. Is in the Embassy Oaks WellMed Clinic. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Caregiver SOS On Air is where we are up next. Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zerniel. Where do you hear us? On 9.30 a.m., The Answer. One of the things I'd love to talk about with uh, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, I'm Ron Aaron, by the way, is prevention, and it's something that WellMed spends a lot of time on. We do spend a lot of time on prevention because the fact is we know when we spend time on prevention, people live longer, healthier lives. So what do you look for in, in, in terms of preventing disease? Well, as a provider, we're going to spend a lot of time with our patients looking at lab work, doing tests, looking for things early, encouraging preventative exams like an eye exam, uh, mammograms, colonoscopies, all the things that help us prevent severe illness. And it's one of the things that WellMed has always prided itself on. We've always been the forerunner for prevention, and now everybody's jumping on board, and I'm glad to see it. Giving new meaning to patient-centered health care. Yes, it does. Dr. Robin Eikhoff, I'm Ron Aaron. By the way, you catch us on WellMed Radio, Saturdays at 5 in the afternoon, right here on 930 AM, The Answer. Well, we've come to Take 10, which is the conclusion to each one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. Really part of the best part of the show, we deal with issues that Carol Zerniel, our co-host, and Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist who deals with caregiving and addictions. They toss out a topic and bat it back and forth, and today's topic come up. Uh, in fact, Dr. Jamie came up with it, right? Dr. Jamie? Well, I, I did. This I is did. your I topic. Did. It's my topic. This and is where you throw it out. It's my pet peeve as well. As who's watching our moms and dads? Uh, it's about direct care workers and, and those who we actually employ as caregivers when we're working or when we need somebody uh, additional to, to the family to take care of our loved one. Um, who are they? Who's watching them? What's happening? Who's employing them? Are they burned out? How many people they see and what are they getting paid? How's that? Well, I think it's a great topic because just this week I was having a discussion with the family. They were choosing between... Um, private, you know, pay caregivers that, you know, hiring people uh, to come into the home. And they mentioned that the woman that they liked the best told them that she had to work seven days a week. And, yeah. and she was working probably tw- wanted to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, if you can't, she could. You can't do that for long. But that's what she said she wanted to wow. do. Not only is she working uh, seven days a week, but potential um, potentially she's actually working with two different families. Or oh, different more families. than that, probably three or four different families. So put yourself in her place for just a moment. Number one, A, it's not your family member. It's one of three or four you're taking care of. B, you have a family at home, and you're probably not on salary. You're getting paid hourly. So chances are you don't have health care benefits or benefits whatsoever, really, that's uh, supporting you in this endeavor. And, and see, you're, you're, you're burned out. You're just overwhelmed. And somebody is actually entrusting you with the person that possibly matters most in their lives or their family's lives. So what's wrong with this picture, though? Well, I, I, I don't think it's that unusual that many of the workers, and that's whether we've hired them personally or they work at an agency. These are people who really do work very long hours um, and are probably making, even if you think you're paying them uh, $15 an hour, if they work for an agency, they're probably making less than that. 
Uh, and they, so they're the making, agency takes its cut. Because the agency's going to take a cut, so it, they're making a little bit above minimum wage. Does that mirror, uh, you know, to our listeners, and I know I sound like I'm going overboard, but doesn't that mirror the oldest profession in our country or in the world, which is prostitution? Wow! Now, see, did you hear? Did you I feel my? They, did you feel my eyebrows go up? From I thought over they there? make more money than that. <laughs> yeah, well, they do. Uh, but look at it this way: so you have a company that employs somebody to go out and work for them. They certainly will take the the yeoman's share of the money. Um, they basically send the person out to a house, and they pay them, as you mentioned, maybe half or a little bit more. And and the whole process is is seemingly fraught with problems here because you have a burned-out person who has to come home to issues, who's not being given you know, stress management courses. And, and basically the turnover rate is like 50 to 60% in that business. It is so huge. Right. And these are the, I, part of the reason of, that the profession is so poorly paid is, unfortunately, caregiving is women's work. A lot of these are women um, that have come back to the workforce or this is their second job uh, and it's not highly valued even though it, they form you know really the backbone along with the family caregiver these paid caregivers definitely are the backbone of the long-term services and support system in this country you know at both ends of the spectrum kindergarten teachers and then caregivers for seniors both are undervalued and underpaid Absolutely, Ron. And, and, you know, we do have new models of delivery that are coming out now that we should hearken to and get close to and, and, and understand. Um, obviously, most of us have heard of Care.com. I have no stock in the company, believe me. But I must tell you that what they have done, if nothing else, is they, they've tried to eliminate the middle person. And in doing that, if a person needs help, they'll put a zip code in and there'll be 30 different caregivers who we hope are entrepreneurial who are charging much more, who absolutely are hopefully taking care of themselves. And my wife has talked about Care.com to find babysitters for our kids. We haven't used it yet, but she's mentioned it. Yes, and it's a, it's a system, and it has its own challenges, no doubt. But I have to say that at least it connects the caregiver directly to the person who needs that person, rather than have this sort of middle person in, in the way and, and being able to take their cut out of the process. Yeah, and I'm looking at the website right now, and I have a choice of child care, pet care, or senior care in terms of caregiving. So the pet care was the surprise on that one. Well, um, I, you know, that's a huge issue. Oh, sh- absolutely. Especially with people You're working talking- more hours. You need dog walkers. Yes, or pet, pet sitters if you want right. to go out of town for the weekend. Well, I have to mention someone on the board of directors with me at the National Council on the Aging, um, I. Jin Poo. Is uh, is an American. Who, uh, she has a she's a Vietnamese, I believe, background, but she was born in the United States, and she recently won a MacArthur Award. And if you don't know what a MacArthur Award is, it's a huge financial award. It's a MacArthur Genius Award uh, that they call you and they say you have won this award. We've been watching you. She is the director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance which is working to improve the conditions of direct caregivers. Um, she is one of the, the leaders in helping uh, direct caregivers form their own agencies. Um, they own the business. They pay, the, you know, they get dividends from the business uh, so that their owners as well as workers uh, helping to raise both the conditions and the pay uh, I know this, it sounds like we're on a rare political statement, but, you know, she's young. She, you know, she's probably, I don't, I don't even want to guess that. She's young. I'm not going to guess her age. She's young. Um, and she's working very, very diligently uh, to address the issues you brought up, Jamie. Don't you believe there should be minimum standards for uh, actually this population, this, this group? Because at the end of the day, who is regulating who here? I mean, who is talking about conditions? When there was child labor laws, we were up in arms. I'm not sure anybody's talking about this situation as loud as they can. The person that you're describing is the future. And I believe that also things like Care.com or having, a let's say, an eBay that connects the, the buyer and, and, the, and the seller, for instance, that takes this sort of exploitive factor out is the way to go. But we're not hearing enough of it. We don't have enough oversight. We don't have those standards of care. Well, who would set the standard? You're talking about... There may be several issues here. One is the uh, Cesar Chavez question about 
uh, protecting the workers, giving them uh, a sufficient wage and benefits and rights. Uh, and, and then you're talking about are they qualified to deliver the kind of care you'd expect for your care recipient? Yes. Realistically, I don't think you're ever going to change this middle group, but I do think they need to be heavily uh, overseen and make sure that there's minimum standards and they're providing everybody a good wage, good benefits, and, and able to do what they need to do. To me, that that would be it. The second thing is, obviously, we're looking also at things like certification um, and actually overseeing people who have a certification. But in that certification process, you know, you have an ethical standard, A, to take care of yourself and to make sure you're balancing your life. But these are issues that are up the line as we grow older and that we have the tsunami of senior care that we've got to be mindful of. Well, and you're absolutely right. I, I remember hearing uh, someone else uh, speaking about worker training, direct care worker training in the hours. Uh, and she was from Arizona. And she was talking about that the person that does your fingernails has much more training, have many more training hours than the person that cares for your mother or your dad because they don't require that much training. Yeah, we license barbers and manicurists. Well, and, and at one time when I was working for the Area Agency on Aging, I asked the home health agency because they were they were short, you know, some workers, we needed some more workers. And she said, well, what we do is we just go out and we put a, a sign up on, in the laundromat, workers needed, and you find them at the laundromat on Sunday and they're working in somebody's home on Monday. Yeah. Which exactly is that. crazy. Right. You know, and if you knew that, you would not want that worker in your you home. You would never hire them. No. no, and it's the most precious people in our lives that we want to provide dignity to, to integrity, and as they are older and at, at their home, do we really know unless we set cameras up everywhere we are at and have, uh, you know, recorders, what's going on? That's right. It's a, it's a huge issue, and that's why I think as we're here, wind up the segment, you know, you really need to do the back, criminal background checks, the background checks, um, you know, interview the various workers that you want to have in the home. Find out about them. It's it's up to you to do the screening because the the system is not really a system. You as the family member employing the yeah, you uh, as the family member employing either the agency yeah. or the individual. Wow, got to stop you right there, Jamie. We're flat out of time. You bet. We could have a whole show on this. Oh, at at least one show. That was a really good topic. Thank you very much. Take ten ends our Caregiver SOS program every week. You hear us Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer for Carol Zerniel and Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. We will talk with you soon. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.